and welcome to another episode of Between Soul and Spirit. Uh, my name is Jake Allen, and my lovely and talented co-host <laughs> is Robin Murray. Hi. Uh, today we are sitting down with, uh, well, not sitting down, we're Skyping with uh, Stephanie Gray, who I first encountered through a talk that you did at Google, which um, I, I was just blown away by. It was just truly so beautifully simplistic in its logic, but it was just very eloquent. And so I became an instant fan. And like I said, this has been something that's been on my heart for quite some time to address um, this issue. And it just seems like it came out of nowhere again, just this huge storm of activity around abortion. So we're welcoming Stephanie Gray. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on your program. So Stephanie, tell us a little bit about you and what you do uh, on a regular basis. I know you're a speaker, but um, I think you do a lot of different things. So Yes. So I, from a very young age, was deeply convicted about the crisis of abortion and the need for those of us who have a voice to raise our voices for those who have none. Hmm. I'm very blessed by parents who were very involved in the pro-life movement in a variety of capacities, but most particularly, my mom volunteered at a pregnancy care center. Hmm. So when I was a young child, I would go with her when she counseled girls and I would play with fetal models while she did the counseling. (laughs) And um, when when her clients gave birth, I'd go to the hospital with her and and I would see the babies. And so I knew at a young age what abortion was and and I was horrified. I loved Mm -hmm. babies and I I was horrified at the thought that that babies were being harmed. And so I began writing letters at the age of 12, 13, 14 to my political representatives in Canada where I was uh, growing up and where I'm based. (laughs) And uh, by the time I was in college, I attended a conference for college students in Canada, but an American speaker was brought in to present to us all weekend. His name is Scott Klusendorf. And his focus that weekend was to teach us how to articulate the pro-life perspective relying on science and philosophy. Hmm. And one of the things he said at that conference was there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. And when I heard those words, I really felt the Holy Spirit convict me and essentially ask me, will you work full-time to save my children? And so um, the Lord very clearly closed doors in one direction and opened them in the other. And so I began public speaking shortly after that when I was 18 years old. I finished my university degree and then I went into full-time pro-life work thanks to the mentorship of Scott Klusendorf and and several (laughs) other pro-life leaders. And um, we're coming up to, I think I'm at 17 years now of working full-time educating oh, wow. people uh, about abortion. Hmm. Mm. Well, like I said, I mean, I, it was unlike any talk that I've ever heard. And I really love that approach, being able to speak to different audiences. So, of course, um, as believers, we come from it at one perspective, but to be able to put it in language that they're receptive to and Ever since I saw that talk, I've just recommended it to everybody I know yes. that has any sort of uh, interest in this. And so, um, so yeah, you've been speaking and training people and doing that. And that's, I mean, wow, it sounds like it was a passion from such a young age. That's amazing. That mm, yes, I uh, I got goosebumps whenever you you said that there are more people working mm. to harm and kill children than there are to to save to them. Save them. Yeah. Where do you feel like we are? as a social climate it feels like to me that we're at not necessarily a tipping point but there's there's momentum for the pro-life movement 
Yeah, you know, I would agree with you on that. Having, I mean, been involved my whole life and very seriously in a formal basis for almost two decades, I have seen significant strides. I do believe we're, we're close to that tipping point where it has become so extreme, where you have things yeah. like what went on in New York recently, where the state is kind of preparing if Roe versus Wade is reversed, we want to make sure already in advance we've declared this state to be so extremely pro-abortion that abortions can happen, you know, to birth and then, you know, you know, babies even be killed afterwards. And so mm. uh, people are horrified by that. They're so shocked that they're saying, what is going on? And yeah. then that forces the debate open generally. Uh, interestingly, also, there's a movie that's just come out. I'm not sure if you've followed it yourselves, but the movie Unplanned, yeah, telling sure, the true yeah. story of Abby Johnson. And I just uh, watched a review of that. It's not released in Canada yet, but I, I managed to see a copy. And hmm. that's another powerful example of how I think in the last, you know, it was it's only been about 10 years, I think, since Abby left that clinic. So even just in the past decade, you have such a significant uh, shift where someone who was a leader in the abortion rights movement uh, ran into the arms of the pro-life yeah. movement has now become this incredible outspoken uh, witness for the babies and against what she had once been involved with. So there's definitely good things happening amidst the darkness that's in our midst. Well, I, I had never even heard of her until recently with the unplanned mm -hmm. unplanned movie. So, I mean, to get that story out and I mean, the opposition to it has been amazing as well, <laughs> like mm -hmm. censorship and, um, you know, just really going out of their way to, to silence that message because... I think they put it on their uh, their Facebook page and it said something like, I don't know, a thousand members of the abortion uh, workforce have come out and become pro-life and zero have gone the other way. Mm. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's always telling when you look at what direction the conversions happen yeah. and, mm -hmm. and major significant. I mean, of course, I've encountered people who will say, oh, you know, I I went to Christian school. I used to be pro-life and now I'm pro-choice. You kind of hear that. But you never hear about a leader mm, who yeah. had led the pro-life movement suddenly becoming uh, pro-abortion, the way we see leaders in the pro-abortion movement becoming pro-life, I think besides Abby, I think of uh, Dr. Anthony Levitino, who was an abortionist and became pro-life. And actually, he plays a little, he plays the doctor doing the abortion in one of the scenes in, in the movie. Hmm. Um, I think of Dr. Bernard Nathanson, now deceased, who was one of the co-founders of NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League, and he really fought to make abortion legal in America, and he also uh, became pro-life and publicly repented of, of what he had done. So wow. there are significant mm. conversions that happen in the direction of becoming pro-life by leaders, not the other way. Hmm. That's amazing. You know, I just had some thoughts. Um, Stephanie, really what mm. the thing that we're working on right now is uh, we're doing a, a series about teen suicide. And mm. so matters of just the sanctity of life, the purpose for living, all these things are, are constantly sort of crossing my mind. Um, one of the things that I do as well is I, I work with people as they go through sort of recovery programs from trauma. Mm. Okay. And uh, in doing that, one thing that I've noticed is that as well-meaning as somebody might be, logic and reason does not appeal to them when they have emotional trauma. They're looking through this lens that is distorted. And until you can go back and really touch that, uh, those areas of pain from the past, um, mm -hmm. you know, they are just not going. It, it, it's almost like they hear themselves saying things that are just don't make sense and add up. 
And I have to say that as I was just listening uh, not long ago, earlier this morning, actually, uh, to a podcast that you did a couple of Mm -hmm. days ago, people would call in who were Mm pro-choice and you would just very clearly lay out, you know, this very articulate, logical reason to think in a way that seems very true and right. And they would still just go, yeah, but it's a Mm -hmm. choice, you know, and and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like... Hmm. So there's got to be some, you know, nothing is ever as as simple and black and white as you think when it's a big, huge social problem. I guess the thing that that I would say is as you Mm. look at that, that reality, what are some of the key traumas and hurts from the Mm. past that you may be coming up against that is just blinding people to the reason and logic of the situation? Yeah, that's a very powerful observation that I would agree with. Um, Time and again, I have learned, especially as the years have gone on, how people's pasts or their connections to people who come from a past that involves abortion or something related to it can influence how they receive the messaging in the present. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important that we have a holistic approach when interacting with people. I often say we need the strongest of minds, but the most tender of hearts. And we need knowledge, but we also need wisdom Mm -hmm. because wisdom is going to dictate how do I communicate my message in a way that actually pierces their heart and reaches their heart? And it, it, it may mean I take an intellectual approach, but it also may mean I take a more emotional approach mm. and I seek to understand uh, where they're coming from. There's an old prayer. It was written over a hundred years ago. It's often been associated with a, a Roman Catholic saint, St. Francis of Assisi, but its origins are actually anonymous as far as I can see, and it's called the Peace Prayer, sometimes called the Prayer of St. Francis. But midway through the prayer, it, it, it's written, uh, O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be understood as to understand. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that needs to be the prayer of the heart of anyone who's pro-life as they're interacting with someone mm-hmm. Lord, that I may seek to understand where this person is coming from. And so when I have been in one-on-one encounters with people, having conversations like I had, as you mentioned, having heard on that that radio program the other day, you know, when I've been in conversations with people one-on-one and I don't seem to be getting through and they'll say things like, yeah, but, and you're like thinking to yourself, but that was so logical. Why didn't, mm-hmm. why don't they embrace yeah. it? You know, I ask questions like, I'm curious, where does your passion come from? Mm. Or I'll ask a question like, do you know anyone who's, and then whatever the issue Mm. is, I'll bring up who's had an abortion or who's been in poverty or who's been abused, whatever we're talking about. And then oftentimes people will say, yes, I do. And then if I know someone who's been in that set of circumstances, I immediately come back with, I know someone too. And that... Um, common ground often becomes the moment of reveal where they will then talk about, you know, my mom had an abortion or I drove my sister to an abortion clinic. And then you begin to see, oh, this isn't logical. They're defending what they were participating in or they're just defending the person they love. And they're concerned that if they condemn abortion, that they're somehow condemning this loved one. Mm -hmm. And, And you have to gently walk people through the fact that 
all of us are imperfect. So therefore, when we love people, we're going to love imperfect people. And it doesn't mean that if we don't love something they do, that we don't love them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I often use the example with people that... Oh, gosh. That's know, so needed for society right now. <laughs> yes. It is. It is. And so I'll use, you know, an example that I think many of us can relate to. I'll say, think of texting and driving. How many people do it? Now, imagine <laughs> someone you love dearly texts and drives and kills someone as a result. Mm-hmm. Would you still love that person? Yes, you would. Would you love what they did? No, you wouldn't. Would you condemn what they did? Yes, you would. Um, But it wouldn't change your love for them. In fact, you would probably have more love and sympathy for them because you now realize they're going to grieve the rest of their life, Hmm. having to live with the burden that comes from the, the the negative choice that they made and the, and the deadly consequences that it had. And so in the same way, when we have loved ones who have been involved with abortion, uh, my heart breaks for them. I love them. I grieve for them because they then have to carry that um, regret with them for mm-hmm. life. Of course, as believers, we know that God is merciful, that we find uh, mercy in Christ, that the blood of Christ washes our sins clean. Um, but it doesn't take away our memories of what we've done. It doesn't take away our regret. And so um, it's possible to love someone even if we don't love what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm. That That's excellent. Thank you. And and that brings up something else. Do you have any sort of favorite or uh, go-tos when, when you run across somebody and you want to say, you know, look, here's where to go for help when you mm. are living the rest of your life with that burden of guilt, you know? Absolutely. So there, when it comes to uh, regret for abortion specifically, if that's the issue that comes up in a conversation, uh, there are a number of different excellent healing programs. There's post-abortion Bible studies. Uh, there is a retreat weekend called Rachel's Vineyard, uh, where women and men who have been involved in abortion decisions mm. can go in this intensive weekend of healing uh, where they hear a number of different speakers. There's some very beautiful symbolic um, exercises that are done where the children that anyone has been involved in the abortion of are named and Mm -hmm. and there's memorials of life that are related to the child. Um, So I would say between Rachel's Vineyard and I'm I'm drawing a blank on the name of the post-abortion Bible study but if anyone were to contact me through my website loveunleasheslife.com I can send them information on uh, post-abortion programs. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, we would love to feature that on um, the Stronger Alliance as mm-hmm. well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a website that we have that um, we kind of collect resources together for people. Oh, great. Like that. Yeah, I can so, send a bunch for you to you yeah, and then you can distribute that's them. That's perfect. Yeah. Awesome. You know, I, I, one thing, just if you don't mind me throwing another thing out Please. there that comes to mind uh, is, is there's a very powerful foreign film that I just watched subtitled in English called A Man Called Ove. Have either of you heard of it? No. Mm-mm. Okay, fascinating film that gives insight into the human condition and that ultimately we are made for relationship and connection and that when we find our identity outside of that or when we move to isolation, then we find that we move away from human flourishing. Mm. And um, so the the brief storyline is it's this man from one of the Nordic countries. I think it's Sweden or something. Um, he's an old man. He's grumpy. He's mean. Um, and he's trying to kill himself. But no one knows this. So every time... Mm time in his home he's making an attempt to kill himself a neighbor knocks on his door or someone has some need and they don't realize they're interrupting him he's he gets angry but he nonetheless helps them with whatever they need help with 
And as a result of this movie, you see that the more people need him and the more they reach out to him and connect with him Mm -hmm. and you have essentially a communion of persons, which really, if you think about the creation story, when, when man, when God created male and female in the first creation story, it was together, male and female together, that images God. And because that's because God is a father, son, the Holy Spirit, a communion of persons were made for that. That's what leads to human flourishing. So this man is drawn out of isolation into connection, and then he finds purpose, and then he finds meaning. The second main message from the film, without spoiling the story of it, uh, is he has flashbacks and you begin to see his past and begin to understand why he's so angry and why he wants to kill himself. And so I'll let the movie answer <laughs> um, kind of what those flashbacks are. But the, what it drew to mind was something a social work friend of mine has remarked, which is that anger is a secondary emotion. Mm-hmm. Anger is a secondary emotion. Yes. And and so you see that in the film. At first, you're like, this is a mean, grumpy old man. He's so angry. And then when he has the flashbacks, you realize where his anger comes from. And you move from having hostility towards him to profound empathy. Mm-hmm. So between realizing the need for connection and how anger is a secondary emotion, it's a profoundly insightful film on the human condition. Wow. wow. Boy, that, yeah. just, that, that informs a lot of what we're doing right now. I, <laughs> one of my favorite characters that... I'm the writer for this series and one uh-huh. of my favorite characters is named Benjamin who has become quite reclusive and he's older and um, he's not quite to the mean and grumpy stage, but he is to the point where he's realizing that he's dropped a little too far out of society and it is in the helping and the reaching out that he, he begins to find his purpose again. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yes. I cannot wait to watch that because another thing it touched on is something else that comes to mind as I think about even the issue of abortion is um, just this, I guess, vitriol that we see in society um, with the genders against each other instead of appreciating and respecting one another. Um, and it sounds like, I don't know, something you said in that description sort of touched on that a little bit. Um, mm. I wonder if you have any thoughts on how that war of the sexes might um, inform this issue with abortion. Yeah, for sure. Well, again, I mean, if you want to know what is most sacred in God's eyes, what is to be so valued, look in society at what is devalued and mm-hmm. what is disrespected, and then we'll get a sense, okay, <laughs> Satan's going to attack that which is most important to God. And so, uh, you know, everything God created when he kind of did his survey at the end of each day, it was good, it was good, it was good. But once he created man, male and female in his image, now it's very good. And so, in being image bearers, we are bringing as creature, creator, um, so specifically into the world by bearing his image. So therefore, humans in general are going to come under attack. And then the relationship of humans to each other, especially men and women who have the power as creatures to partner with creator in creating new life, Hmm. um, that's going to come under attack because Satan doesn't like that. Satan doesn't want that. And so we see that in the abortion debate. We see this fracturing of relationships where we should have a Trinitarian relationship where you should have the love of a husband for his wife, the love of the wife 
life for her husband, the fruit of that love being children, this beautiful communion, Mm -hmm. it's all fractured. Mm -hmm. You have the woman who's um, all too often abandoned by her husband. Mm. And then you have her now in a fractured relationship from one, but still with the child. But now she's thinking, I don't want this child. This doesn't work with my life. So it's a fracturing again. It's the rejection of that child. And so instead of saying, you're vulnerable, you're complimentary, there's something beautiful about all of us coming together. What Mm. can we learn through this? It becomes, you're a burden, you're inconvenient, and I'm just going to go it alone. And it's this rugged individualism, which people think will make them happy, but has led to just profound brokenness because it's not what we're made for. Mm-hmm. I feel like key is when you said, what can we learn from this too? I, I think that's, that's a huge part of the breakdown is people don't want to surrender or submit their will to learning something different from what they already think or feel. And, you know, that's one of the big things we work with a marriage ministry is, you know, what can you be learning from the conflict that you're in right now? And um, so that's, I feel like that's really key to it is we don't want to learn males and females do not want to learn from one another. We Mm -hmm. want to dig in and, and say, you know, just declare our rights and our independence rather than working together and learning and just certainly submitting our will to God. You know, people have always had an issue with that from back (laughs) to Genesis three. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Humanity may have been around for a while, but the sins are the same. Same (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for unpacking that so beautifully because I, you know, there's sometimes I'll, I'll feel like this has something to do with that, but I haven't really thought through it, but you just excellent, you know, just in that. Excellent. Oh, you, you know, unpack oh, that God. beautifully. So I love that. <laughs> so, uh, Stephanie, what do you feel like is is the best step for the Christian community going forward? I mean, obviously, mm. there's this, like I said, flurry of activity and momentum. And I, I've seen a lot just I can only speak for here in Texas, but there's a huge movement towards um, adoption yes. uh, in our churches. But, um, can you speak to that and what you feel like is, is the path forward for the, the community of believers? Sure. Well, well, let's start with that. Absolutely. I think we need to prioritize the scriptural command to care for orphans and widows. And, um, there are so many orphans in our midst who need forever homes, uh, or temporary homes if they're in the foster care system. I actually recently literally just blogged on this because uh, I've encountered a couple people lately who've argued that abortion is needed because of the foster care system. And they will say, look, children are bounced around to different homes, a lot of them with baggage of profound abuse and neglect. It's better if they had just been aborted rather than brought into this terrible world. And mm. I certainly can agree that the abuse any child has endured should never have happened. And we need to do everything everything in our power to uh, prevent that, to avoid it, and to help bring healing to those who have already endured it. I simply make the point to people time and again that homicide should not be the solution to that. It would just be another example (laughs) of, Mm -hmm. of abuse. And then as part of developing my apologetic on this, I did my own inventory of people that I know personally or have met through my work and how they are responding to this crisis, not with abortion, but by their own fostering or their own adopting. And I, and so in my blog, I wrote this list and I, I started to think, oh my goodness, like, right, I have these friends who adopted three little girls from China, all with cleft palate, intentionally oh, wow. selecting them because they would need major reconstructive surgery in America. Um, and, and now these girls are teenagers, they're excellent mm-hmm. violinists 
violin players, they're little geniuses, they're thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought of another couple I met in my travels when they had one child who was one year old. They traveled to Africa and adopted two children. Mm-hmm. Then they uh, had several more of their own biological children, went back to Africa and adopted two more children, both of whom have Down syndrome and required oh, wow. uh, heart surgery. And mm-hmm. uh, so now they've got this this beautiful blended family of biological and non-biological children. I was recently at an event where I, I met a young woman who's 28 and for the last four years, she is not married, never been married. For the last four years, she has fostered more than 20 children and adopted two of them. And I Mm. was like, I was like, you are an amazing human being. I am blown (laughs) away. Um, And then, yeah, as as you've mentioned in Texas, I actually met with a pastor in Texas who was telling me he's uh, making it the mission of his church to to, uh, foster the children and adopt the children in their local community. Mm. Uh, There's a group called Love Life Charlotte um, who is doing a similar outreach. So in the church, yes, to get kind of more specific to your answer, I think we need to promote fostering and adoption and work with um, families who maybe don't want to place their child for adoption, but they need help with parenting. They need mm-hmm. to know how to better, you know, parent their children and be in a, you know, um, permanent relationship of marriage and in a healthy way. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think we need to hear far more preaching on abortion from the pulpit. And all too often, pastors shy away from that because they are rightly concerned about the post abortive women and men in their churches. And I acknowledge, well, that's a concern. It just doesn't mean that the solution is silence, that whether you preach about abortion or not, the woman who's had an abortion remembers she's had an abortion. She's going to remember every day. There's going to be lots of different reminders. She may have had it five years ago, and she sees a five-year-old child, and she's going to remember her abortion. So Mm -hmm. you preaching about it isn't reminding her, but it could be giving her an outlet for healing because maybe she's not repented of it. Maybe she thinks it's an unforgivable sin. Um, So it's, it's how we package our message. And so I think we need pastors preaching on abortion. I think we need to incorporate post-abortion Bible studies in our churches. So it's not like, oh, I have to go elsewhere to a program. Um, It's right in my own backyard um, and I can get healing and help that way. So those are just Mm -hmm. a, a few ideas that come to mind. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's it's interesting through the process of um, researching the series and also working with the Stronger Alliance and stuff. I mean, we've met with so many different churches and people, and uh, there's a church here locally, and they're they're just knocking it out of the park with the abortion ministry, and they're doing a very similar thing to what you were talking about, which is um, helping with the the abortion aftercare. I don't know the right mm-hmm. term for that, but sure. in going through ceremonies where they, they name the child and they actually have a wall of, of locks that they put on the wall with the children's names. Yeah. Our, our church yeah. has an amazing ministry for foster and adoption. It's, yeah. it, mm. I know some just similar stories to yours, just incredible mm. people who. Yeah. <laughs> There's purpose. just like an explosion here. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know how it is over yeah. the rest of the country, but it's here. It's just, it's everywhere. And I love it. I mean, it's really yeah. blowing up here. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, go ahead. <laughs> just their their voice is so legitimate on this issue, but yet they're so busy doing what they do. Right. It's kind of hard right. to exactly. get They're, they're just taking the b- basic daily needs of these children they're taking care of. So it's often hard to be an advocate, you exactly. know, to large crowds when you're doing that. But either way, the key is that everyone use their gifts and talents, the opportunities that they have before them 
and and all that then becomes complementary. We don't all have to do the same thing, just like we don't all have to be the same gender. <laughs> there's a complementarity between yeah. men and women, and there's a complementarity between you know a more pastoral approach versus political activism versus education. We kind of we we need that. And then so another thought that came to mind for churches is. I'm deeply convicted that we could stop abortion overnight if everyone who professed to be a believer acted like they should on this issue. And our churches are filled with doctors, nurses, nurses' aides, social workers, teachers, pharmacists who are on the front lines and sometimes not doing the right thing. Hmm. You know, I, I remember speaking at a Christian church and um, an audience member contacted me shortly afterwards and said, uh, a friend of mine is pregnant. What do I, she wants an abortion. What do I do? And so I started listing several things that he could do to try to convince her not to abort. And I said, well, you know, one of the things we need to do is get her to a Christian uh, doctor. And he said, yeah, I took her to my doctor and she left the office with the number to the abortion clinic. Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness, like that doctor had such power in that encounter with the patient where how she reacted to the patient could have influenced that patient to choose life but instead the doctor took this more like well relativistic attitude i wouldn't choose it but if you really want it mm. i won't do it but here's a number where you can get it and so mm. i think we need to do far more formation in our churches of our medical personnel who happen to attend our churches in what living the pro-life message looks like when you're a doctor, when you're a nurse, when you're a teacher, and what you can do in very specific cases. And and doctors who've already been there, done that, and succeeded in saving a life. And I can think of a, a, a more positive story than the one I just told of another Christian doctor who contacted me. Her patient wanted an abortion uh, just shy of the 20th week of pregnancy, so all halfway through. Mm. She had gone to a private ultrasound clinic, found out she was pregnant with a girl, and wanted an abortion because she didn't want a, a baby girl. And so this doctor was horrified, called me like, what do I do? So again, gave her ideas, connected her to a Mandarin speaking physician in her city. Um, and they met and strategized. And the night before doing a follow-up appointment with the woman, the doctor was praying. And as she was praying, she sensed God say to her, let this woman know how much I love her. And so the next day, the doctor goes to her office, meets with the patient and the patient's husband and seeks to understand, why do you want the abortion? So not you want it, I won't do it, I won't refer, but you want it? I'm curious why. Let's let's dig deep. Let's hmm. dive in. And so the patient ended up revealing she was from a profoundly abusive home, abused because she was a girl. Hmm. Um regularly locked in a closet, denied the toilet, denied food, denied water. Oh when it gosh. got cold outside, the family would force her to stand in the cold. I mean, nightmare stuff. Mm. But as the doctor learned all this, she thought, this woman doesn't want to kill a girl. Mm. This woman wants to spare a girl the suffering, abuse, and torture that she went through. Now, she was wrong that she would have repeated the cycle. She was wrong that what happened to her would have happened to daughter but she was traumatized and in her traumatized yeah. state her mind went there right. but because this doctor was so loving the patient said she felt that her doctor was the first person she'd ever met who truly cared about her mm. and several months later a baby girl was born Wow. And that patient reported back to the doctor how happy she was to have her baby girl mm. so 
the more our Christian medical personnel are equipped to be like that doctor and not the previous doctor I mentioned, uh, the more we're going to see change overnight. That's really interesting. I'd never even thought about that. Yeah, I love, I, I feel like I'm seeing a picture here. Uh, what is the church to do? Pray, number one. Listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, look deeper. Ask those questions. See if you can find where that trauma might be coming from. And then number three, support in any way possible Mm -hmm. people who are fostering and adopting. Hmm. I think those are huge things we can do. Yeah, Yeah, I got to tell you, this is just a personal thing. But um, my son, he was uh, was born with a cleft lip and palate. And they're hugely more likely to get aborted because Mm. of those issues. And it's... I can't. I, and he's amazing, Caleb. <laughs> oh, I know. And it, it, but when it is personal, it becomes rightly all the more horrifying. You think, yeah. well, first of all, even if this wasn't correctable, you're a valuable human being. But by the way, we can do surgery. Yeah. And yet people are still saying, oh, I'd rather have an abortion. I mean, it's horrifying. Well, I was uh, I was on Facebook and just scrolling through and uh, a video came up and it was of this doctor. He was testifying to Congress uh, about I have no idea why he was there, but um, he was describing the uh, the process of abortion. And it's mm. just words. I mean, he's not showing pictures or anything like that. And I just broke down crying, like which mm. does not happen to me. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's just it's truly like it's so removed. It's so abstract, which has been, you know, the, the tactic of um, pro-life for a long time is to try and bring that to the forefront and actually what's happening mm-hmm. because it's it's very abstract to people. But one of the things I love about your approach is it's done in such a, a tactful and in wise way, like you said, just mm. with understanding who your audience is and being able to communicate that um, and tailor your message to the audience, mm. which is very, very needed in our culture because it's we're unable to have conversations anymore, really. Um, and th- that's one of the things that was just so refreshing to me about that talk at Google. Mm. So. Well, and certainly you see how Satan is the father of lies and the prince of darkness. And so he is going to confuse people. He is going to make things vague for people. Sure. Um, he is going to keep things covered up, up and hidden. And so our God is a God of light. He's a God of life. He's a God of love. And so in response then to this darkness and this evil, we need to certainly bring what's in darkness into the light, but we need to be a source of light and life and love for the very broken and wounded people that we're encountering and need to have that wisdom and discernment to know, to move with the spirit. What is this person most need right now Hmm. and sometimes people need I mean it would just be like when you're parenting like what's the best thing my child needs right now and sometimes it's that you be firm and that you be strict but other times it's that you be merciful and you be gentle I mean to not be gentle at times to be strict is to not be harsh and unkind but you have to have the wisdom to know what is needed right here right now and we need that in every encounter with others what is the best tool to reach them right now Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephanie, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Tell our audience, how can they find out more about what you do? Um, tell us about your book, your website, all that. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So people can learn more about me at my website, which is loveunleasheslife.com. And as you've just mentioned, yes, I have a book and it's written by that. It, it's has the, the title is the same name as my ministry. So Love Unleashes Life. And the subtitle is Abortion in the Art of Communicating Truth, because my real 
heart, which hopefully has come through in this interview, is to help people balance reaching the head as well as the heart. And mm -hmm. so my book goes through how to make a logical argument, but how to also reach people in their pain, to not only tell stories, but to hear stories and mm -hmm. receive their stories. So mm -hmm. the book really equips Christians to be able to speak both to believers and non-believers on the topic of abortion. Uh, I do speak on some other issues uh, in Canada and some of your states and other parts of the world. Assisted suicide is unfortunately becoming a very uh, big reality. And so I do a lot of education on uh, assisted suicide and euthanasia, on how our dignity as human beings has to be rooted in who we are, not how we function, not how other people mm. feel about us. And so if people go to my blog, again, at loveunleasheslife.com, they'll find some helpful apologetics on that issue at that end of life as well as on the topic of uh, abortion wow wonderful yeah. we we are such big fans and i hope everybody goes and looks you up on youtube and reads your book because it's it's Thank amazing you. stuff <laughs> yes well to god be the glory amen, amen.